Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be looking at the book of Colossians. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 15 this morning. As we begin, let's go in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us, for the hope that we have in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, for your word. We pray that you would help us to listen to your word, Help us to, Father God, apply your word, to be changed by your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you through your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died and rose again. And Father God, today as we talk about this victory that we have in him, let us be reminded of your goodness. Let us be reminded of the price that was paid for our sins. And let us rejoice, Father God, in this life and what we have in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if we were to take uh, an inventory or a poll from, our, from the members in our church regarding uh, how much debt we owe. Now, of course, uh, we would never really do that because, one, that would be quite embarrassing, but also, two, it's a very private matter. And yet it's a very real factor of life. Uh, many owe much more than they're able to pay right now. It's even recorded that 70% of the people who live in the U.S. have credit card debt. And much of that debt is more than they make in a year. They are in over their heads, and oftentimes they see uh, no end in sight, no way to pay it off, giving up, giving Becoming, becoming discouraged along the way. And it's a very serious matter, a very overwhelming one in the process. In our text today, the Apostle Paul also gives us a picture of our debt, and it is our debt of sin. And much like those in the U.S. who have credit card debt who cannot pay it off in any time in the near future, our debt of sin cannot be paid by us in any way. But what the Apostle Paul is going to do is remind us of just how great that debt is. But in the process, the victory we have in Jesus Christ, who paid that debt for us. And we want to see this morning of this hope that we have in God to remind ourselves to be challenged that Jesus Christ has made a way for us. We can often get caught up in the familiarity of the scripture. How familiar we are with the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet too often times we treat the gospel as, well, I heard it preached or taught to me. I received it by faith and that is it. I move on to other things after that. But that is far from what the scripture gives us of how the gospel works. The gospel is the good news for us in all of life from when we first believe until the day we will be with Jesus Christ. We're always going to learn about the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God found in Jesus Christ that we have in the hope of the gospel. But thinking of us personally, how much do you owe? How much have we sinned? 
how much have we lived a life of sin that has separated us from our Heavenly Father, but whom Christ has made a way. Yes, we live in this mortal body. We will continue in sin until he returns. And yet, are we living a life that is marked by purity, that is marked by our hope in Jesus Christ, that we want to repent of that sin? Or is it just building up because we're taken for granted what Christ has done? This is what the gospel is all about. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the mercy of God, that even though we're sinners, Christ has made a way. If we look in the context of our passage this morning, in Colossians chapter 2, really quickly, beginning at verses 6 and 7, we read these words. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. We have received the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done his work in us. We are firm. We are established in our faith in Jesus Christ. We are committed to living it out. We are committed to walking with him. And we are abounding with thanksgiving. We want to rejoice in the midst of what God has done. So Paul is calling the believers to give thanks for the hope that they have and how they have been changed because of Jesus Christ, how they are to go through life differently as a result. And then we come to our text, verses 13 through 15, to remind ourselves to be challenged of our victory in Jesus Christ. We are people who have accumulated a debt. We are debtors. We have unpaid obligation. Jesus has paid our debt And we have no more obligation to sin. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants us to see in this text. So follow along with me in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. We read these words. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The first point this morning, as you see in your notes, is that we are forgiven. We are redeemed. God in Christ Jesus paid our debt so that we could live. We are redeemed. God in Christ Jesus paid our debt so that we could live. First, we need to ask this question. Why? Why did God forgive us? We see in our text in verse 13, because you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in sin, dead in trespasses. Though we were born in this physical world very much alive, full of life as a newborn baby is, we enter into a fallen world, a world marked by sin, a marked a world marked by death as a result of sin. We come into this world very much breathing physically with life in front of us and yet in the process spiritually dead apart from Christ. It's fascinating how many think that when we enter life as, as a newborn that the child is so perfect. It looks so good. How could they ever do any wrong? And yet the Bible tells us that we are born in sin. Turn with me briefly to the book of Romans chapter 5 to see this. Romans chapter 5. 
we read these words, beginning in verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for many died through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one, of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. We come into this world, though full of life, we are born spiritually dead. So we ask this question, why did God have to forgive us? Because we have no hope apart from him. We have no hope in this life without Jesus Christ. So God is going to make a way for us to know him so that we could have life in his name. Jesus Christ came to pay the debt that we could not pay so that we could live. Paul identifies trespass in our text. And trespass can be defined this way, that which is a breach of God's standard. Sin breaches or breaks God's standard. So he's going to make a way. As the reason for our original condition that we are spiritually dead, thus these trespasses must be dealt with if the believer in Christ Jesus is to experience life. So this is why God has come to forgive us, so that we could have life in him. He doesn't want to leave us on our own. It's sad how much people go through life having this mindset that God is distant, that he's angry with us all the time, and he's just left us alone to fend for ourselves. It's how they rationalize so much death. It's how they rationalize that there is so much tragedy in the world. If God really cared about us, he would fix everything and make everything right. God has promised there's going to come a day when he will do that. He does not do it on our timetable. He does it on his. But because things aren't fixed right now at this very moment, well, then God must not really care. God must be very distant. Maybe he created us, but he's left us to fend for ourselves. But that is certainly not the case. That's not the God we see in Scripture. That's not how he's shown us in Jesus Christ, how he's making a way for us. God did not leave us to ourselves, but he's going to save us. He did that through his son, Jesus Christ. Brandon read for us this morning already from Ephesians chapter 2, but I want to reflect on it just again because it fits so well with our text. We read these words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So we see in our text in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in your passions. You were dead in your sin nature. You were dead in this physical body, the uncircumcision of your flesh. We were ruled by the enemy. We were dead in sin, born in this world, and we are ruled by a fallen nature. But God has made a way. Verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 2, Among whom you once lived, following the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, 
Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were ruled by the flesh, but then we have these words, But God, being rich in mercy. So the question is, why did God come to save us? Because of his love for us. We could not do it on our own. We can never achieve salvation on our own. We can never earn it on our own. So God made a way. So we ask another question. Why did God need to forgive us? We see that God says he's going to come and save us. But in the midst of that, what do we need to be forgiven from? It's because we were going through life following our passions, following our flesh and the uncircumcision of our flesh. Living for ourselves, living in rebellion against God. So God, so we ask, why did God do it? Because he loved us. But now how did God do it? He did it through Jesus Christ. We see there in verse 13, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He made us alive with him. He made us alive with Jesus Christ, forgiving us all our trespasses. We live because Jesus lives. God made us alive in Jesus. It's a time of year where we're looking forward. It's about only about three weeks away. We have Easter coming, Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the past couple years, during this time of year, I've, I've seen uh, the, the speculation kind of intensified, especially in certain media and news circuits. Remember just about a year or two ago, I was watching some of the news outlets, and the, com- the news commentators, as they were reflecting on Easter and Palm Sunday and everything, they said very boldly, this is the time of year when Christians say or think Jesus rose from the dead. Or it's when they celebrate his supposed resurrection. And yet we see in Scripture that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain. It is futile. We have no hope. We are not forgiven of our sin if that's the case. And yet we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that Christ is risen from the grave. He is not dead. He is not remaining in the tomb. So the text tells us, God made us alive together with him. Why did God need to forgive us? Because we were lost in sin. Our trespasses breached his moral standard. Our trespasses sent us into rebellion against him. And how did he do it? He did it through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent into this world to suffer and die and rise again. We live because Christ lives. God has forgiven us our trespasses. One commentator says this, Paul here is emphasizing that God has put away the guilt that stems from our sinful acts. God has made a way. He's put it away. He's forgiven us. The words tell us, so reassuring, he's forgiven us all our trespasses. Sin brings death. Forgiveness and life come only from being made alive with Christ. And what begins to happen is that we are to live a transformed life as a result. And yet, sadly, we keep it to ourselves far too much. 
If we were to take another poll, much like a first one, how much debt do we owe? If we were to take a poll and say, how many of you have, how many of us has shared our faith with an unbeliever this week, this month, this year? We have the words of eternal life. We have the hope in Jesus Christ. We have a message of transformation to set us apart. And yet, too often times, we have grown comfortable and we've grown complacent where we're sitting on that wonderful information. God made us alive together in Christ Jesus. And we, in a sense, yeah, we set it aside for a time. That's only, that, that, that only makes sense to me when I'm at church. Or that only matters when I'm with, in a Bible study or hearing God's word preached. Otherwise, it doesn't have any bearing on the rest of our life. And yet, people go through life with a debt of sin they cannot pay. Agonizing. Wondering, why am I here? What's the purpose? Why is life so hard? Even when one of our own has passed away, and I've heard it said here in this church several times, when one of our own saints has passed away and gone to be with Jesus Christ, we, we mourn, but also we rejoice because we know their suffering has ended. Their pain is no more. They're with Jesus Christ, and we rejoice. And then the comment often goes, how do those who don't know Christ, how do they get through this? It's hard. But are we telling them about it? Or do we only associate with those who think like us, who act like us, who go to church like us? Are we living for Jesus? Or are we making light of his free gift? Victory in the gospel means living like it. To make light of it means to act like it doesn't matter and to live holding on to our past sins and regrets. I know I'm forgiven but I'm not going to act like it. I know Christ has forgiven me, but I'm going to keep heaping on the shame and the condemnation on myself because I'm such a wicked sinner. I know Christ has saved me, but I must pay him back. And all of a sudden, we're making light of his free gift. The text is quite clear and quite strong. You were dead, but that's the thing. If you know Jesus Christ, you were dead, past tense. You've been made alive together with him, and he has forgiven us all our trespasses. Seeing that what God has done for us, we are reminded of the victory we have, not because of our own works, not because of our own righteousness, not because of anything we ever did, did on ourselves. We can never earn it. We can never achieve it. So we're reminded when we read the text, God made us alive together. In the passage, what does it say that we did? Nothing. The only thing we did was that we were born, and we were born in sin, and then God made a way, forgiving us all our trespasses. So seeing what God has done for us, let us remember the price that was paid and how great that price was. Picking up in verse 14, we read these words, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Point number two this morning, how did God forgive us. God paid the debt we could not pay by going to the cross for us. How did God forgive us? God paid the debt that we could not. Make that a capital 
see that we could not pay by going to the cross for us. We had a debt, a sin debt, a trespass. We stood morally guilty before a holy God. One commentator says this in in making an illustration for what it's to say. Paul uses the metaphor of a legal bond or certificate of debt, basically an IOU, in which humans promised to obey what they knew to be God's will. It becomes instead our death warrant because we fail to obey it. Because we could not possibly repay the debt, God blotted out the list of debts and destroyed all the incriminating evidences that stood against us when Christ was nailed on the cross in our place. Christ took away the burden of our guilt. Believers receive the verdict, and that verdict is his righteousness, not our own. Romans chapter 1, verse 32, tells us that although they knew God, they refused to obey. Although they knew God, they continued to live in their sin. We know what God's word has said, but we live for ourselves. When this IOU, this legal document, becomes our bondage, it becomes our death warrant, because it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the standard. You cannot pay it, so God is going to pay it. So when Christ was nailed to the cross, believers received the verdict, his righteousness. I love the words that the Apostle Paul gives us in verse 14. Because it says, by canceling the record of our sin that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. God did it, not us. God did it, not you. God has canceled it. He's made a way. There is no more debt to be paid. There is nothing more we owe. God paid the legal demand for sin, and he did it himself. He made a way. We have no way to pay our own own righteousness. We have no way to pay off the debt. We stand before a holy God with no righteousness of our own. Sin is counted against us. And yet the text says, but God set it aside. No more. This sin that is counted against you, no more. These sins that, that Ben Nagel has committed, no more. These sins that we go through life, that we, we keep holding over our own heads, saying, how could God ever love me? How could God ever forgive me? He says, if, well, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, he has. It is no more. He set it aside. And he didn't just set it aside. It says he nailed it to the cross. He put it with his son, Jesus Christ. It tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 5, that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ never sinned. God just placed our sin on him. So he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. It is no longer our death warrant. It is no longer held against us. Christ made a way. And this is the doctrine, what is often referred to as the doctrine of of substitutionary atonement. Christ is our substitute. Christ made a way. Christ took our place on our behalf. Christ shed his blood 
and made atonement for our sins. He is our substitutionary atonement. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 to see this further. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 25, we read these words. Verse 24, And you are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that we might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Turn also with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 further tells us what Christ has done. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteousness, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone, everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Christ became a curse for us. We were under the curse of sin, under the curse of death, with no hope, no hope of life. But Christ became a curse for us. In the substitutionary atonement idea, there's some who, who take offense at it. Well, one, the book of Corinthians tells us that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But the other idea that comes along with Christ being our substitutionary atonement is the idea of what has been termed divine child abuse. What they mean by that is that God is an abuser of his son because he told him, go, suffer, die, and rise again, as if Christ didn't have any say in the matter because he's God. But that is twisting scripture. That is making light, once again, of the price that was paid. That is, once again, in people's mind, making God some harsh, mean, cruel deity. The thing that scripture teaches us, time and again, through the Gospels, when Jesus is preaching, and through the letters of Paul, is that Jesus Christ wasn't commanded to come. He volunteered. There is no divine child abuse. Jesus Christ said, I will pay the way. In his perfect fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one does not rule over the other and say, do what I command. There's perfect fellowship. They are, they are in agreement. 
the perfect plan of redemption from before time began, they were in agreement of how that would come about. So Jesus Christ comes willing. He comes willingly. He goes to the cross and despising the shame. He suffers and dies on our behalf. Not because he was told to, but because he wants to. So the text tells us in Colossians chapter 2, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The late pastor R.C. Sproul said this, One magnificent metaphor to describe the atonement is that Paul speaks of letters of indebtedness, certificates of debt. Under Old Testament law, when a person violated the law, it was written down. It was a moral IOU. It produced debtors who could not pay their way. That's what we are by nature, Paul says, that on the cross, the first thing Christ did on our behalf was erase the debt. He blotted out. We were by nature debtors. But Christ nailed on the cross, blotted out that debt. So in victory in the gospel and our reminder, we need to give thanks. Give thanks this day and every day for our salvation. It wasn't cheap. It was paid in full. Don't belittle the gospel by saying, well, I believed it. That's all. I don't need to talk about it anymore. I need to move on to other things. Don't belittle the gospel by saying, oh, my sin is not that bad. It's just a lie. It's just a little deception, a little deceit. Nobody will ever notice. Nobody cares what I think. And in each of those self-justification of thoughts, we belittle the price that was paid. How do we measure sin that could not be paid? The only measurement is death through Jesus Christ. So give thanks this day and every day, and don't make light of the gospel. Don't belittle it by justifying it, but rather rejoice in the one who paid it all, paid in full, who blotted it out. Seeing what God has done for us and the price that was paid, let us be reminded once again of the victory that we have because the price was paid, because it was blotted out. Point number three this morning, our forgiveness... Our forgiveness brought us victory. God did what no one else could do by conquering sin, death, and the evil one. Our forgiveness brought us victory. God did what no one else could do by conquering sin, death, and the evil one. Look with me at verse 15. So after he set it aside, nailing it to the cross, we read these words. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God put them to open shame, and the victory comes in him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. God disarmed our enemy, the evil one, the spiritual forces that are around us, the demons that rule, that that go through this earth, doing the devil's bidding. They have been disarmed. God has put our enemy to shame. What does he mean by shame? There is no chance for victory. There's no chance that the devil will ever succeed. Talking with, talking with uh, Eric recently, one of the things, he's, he's wrapping up his studies for his master's degree, and that we need to rejoice as well because he's almost done. 
He's almost there. But one of the things he's talking about right now in, his, in one of his final papers is this idea that he and I have studied before. It's this idea of open theism. What does that mean? Well, when we talk about theism, we're talking about theology of God. And we are theists. We believe in God. We believe that God is all-powerful. He's present. He's involved in this world. And yet, sadly, there's many, there's many who believe and teach that God is not all that powerful. You can go to Christian bookstores and pick up their books. They're very popular. It's this idea that although God created us and has made us, the final outcome is yet to be determined. And in that process, if we belittle God to say, well, he's not all that powerful. And then in that process, unknowingly for many, we've come to elevate the evil one. Because if God is not all-powerful, and the outcome is yet to be determined, then that means God has a foe, a foe that needs to be battled. And now all of a sudden we have elevated the evil one. We've elevated the devil and given him a lot power than he really has. And then all of a sudden the final conflict comes like, a, like an action movie. There's a battle going to take place. Revelation tells us that. And in the process, we wonder who's going to come out on top. Now, you might be thinking, that's ridiculous, and that would be rightly so. But you might be thinking, who would ever believe such a thing? And yet, many do. It's a very popular thing to be taught today. And it comes subtly through the way we speak, through the way we act, through the, through the songs that are sung, and the messages that are given. We may not call it open theism. We may not even put it so blatantly in those terms. But the way, we, the, way the Bible is read and taught, that's... That's the outcome. And yet we read in our text, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. There's no chance for victory. There's not going to be some grand final conflict in the end of cosmic forces in the spiritual realm that's going to be a huge all-out bloody battle. It does not come like that. When Christ finally returns, what's going to happen to the devil? He'll be squashed. He doesn't even have a chance. There's no chance for victory. He's put him to open shame. There's no chance for victory on any front. God is not going to be challenged to say, man, this is a tough battle. The battle's already won. It was won on the cross when Christ was nailed to it and he died. And then he rose again from the grave, bringing that victory. It's not up for debate. So God in Christ Jesus triumphed over the evil one. He triumphed over him. When Jesus Christ arose from the grave... And triumphing over them, the cross, which was the instrument of death, became the tool for victory over sin and death. Let's explore that just a little bit more. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 31. John chapter 12, verse 31, we read these words. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this age be cast out. When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, 
The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler be cast out. Turn also with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. A portion of text we're very familiar with. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read these words. Verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Because of sin, we are subject to lifelong slavery under the evil one. But Christ, who came, God who nailed our debt of sin on the cross, brought victory so that we are no longer slaves to the evil one. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the passions of our flesh and the uncircumcision of our flesh, who are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But rather, God has made a way. He's disarmed them. This verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, this verse is an important statement of the victory of Christ on the cross over the powers opposing him. Paul declares that the rulers and authorities were put to shame, and the language of triumph presents the picture of a Roman tribunal in procession in which those who are defeated after combat would be last in line, awaiting the final blow of judgment to come. Paul declares that the various powers that might appear to hold authority in this world are, in fact, defeated. And it's not just that they will be defeated once and for all, but because of the cross, they are already defeated. We are not subject to sin. We are not enslaved to sin and fear and death. Christ has made a way. When Christ arose from the grave in triumph, he put to death sin, death, and the evil one, once and for all, he's made away. So why would we live through, go through life living and justifying our actions? Why would we make light of the gospel? Why would we say and do such foolish things as justifying our sin? Oh, it's not that bad. I never killed anyone. I've only ever deceived. I've, I've told a few lies. I've never done any great physical harm. I've never stolen anything. But a little deception among my family members to get what I want is no big deal. And yet morally, we all stand guilty before God. And yet Christ made a way. We need to rejoice in that victory. We need to rejoice that although we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive together and forgave us everything. It wasn't just that God said, well, I'll pay part of it. I'll come alongside you. I've needed some help before financially. And uh, even over there, my dad is here this morning. You could ask him, Dad, I need some help. Could you help me financially? Yes, I'll help you get by until next time. Wonderful. So appreciated and thankful for that. God does not come alongside and say, well, you're getting your act together a little bit. I'll pay a little bit of the way. I'll make some effort in the process so that you don't have to do it all by yourself. He never does that. 
He paid it all. And he didn't even ask our permission for it. He just did it. Because of his love for us, he made a way. He nailed it to the cross, and the victory was won. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame, and he triumphed over them in him. We sing in the song, in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and one of the lines we sing in that song regarding the evil one is this, Lo, his doom is sure. When we sing these words, we sing of the victory that we have in Jesus. We sing of the victory we have from sin. No longer in bondage, but free. Christ, our legal substitute and champion, in his death both pays our moral debt and vanquishes our enemy. The power of the cross is not something to be taken lightly. It is not something to be quickly forgotten and cast aside. Well, I know the gospel story, so that's all that matters. No, we need to go to it again and again and rejoice. Christ, our legal substitute and our champion, pays our debt and vanquishes our enemy. So as we close this morning, let us close with these words. Pastor Paul Tripp says this, The message is clear. Let your mind embrace the comfort of these words, comfort that is found nowhere else in Scripture, and through all, rather found through all out Scripture, that is this. God has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If God was willing to cancel whatever regrets causes you to hold on to, cause you to hold on to, you are free to let them go. You are free to quit punishing yourself for the debts that God has already canceled and paid. Now that is freedom, and in that we need to rejoice. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. Father God, let us never grow tired of hearing about the cross. Let us never grow tired about hearing about how evil our sin is. Though we may not like it, though we may not want to think about it, the reality is we are sinners. Let us not put it aside and think, oh, I don't want to talk about those things. And in the process, we belittle what you have done for us by going to the cross for us. Forgive us of our sin of complacency. Forgive us for our sin of not thinking and rejoicing each day in what you've done for us. Father God, let us rejoice this day and every day of the hope that we have in you, that our debt is paid, the victory's won, death is no more, we are free, and the evil one has been conquered, not will be conquered, but has been already for 2,000 years. Let us rejoice in these words, let us give praise to you, let us rise tomorrow and the next day and each day, saying, Lord, thank you for the victory I have in you. Thank you for the salvation I have in you that is found in no one, nowhere else except in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.